to free beers and a movie. Nice. Hello, welcome to episode 97 of Three Beers and a Movie. I am Richard Laird and I'm with... Stu And again, we're gathering because I'm away, so we have to try and do some filler episodes. Last week we talked about Oliver Stone, uh, and this week we're going to do a different director. Um, before we do that, Stu, are you drinking anything tonight? No, not drinking anything tonight, man. It's a school night, so just on the hardcore waters. How about you? I am on Vimto, so much as hardcore as yourself, just because, um, yeah, school night, work night, can't afford to drink heavily on a work night, especially tomorrow, uh, when I've got a lot of work to do. Um, but yeah, so, like I said, thank you for joining from from the Manx scene island. Life is, life is good over there. Yeah, it's not bad, it's not bad. Uh, tumultuous winds, you know, the usual violent, stormy weather, which everyone's freaking the fuck up, out about. Also, brilliantly named Storm Garrett. So that kind of, the name alone kind of undercuts the severity of the storm, I think. I think, well, when I think Gareth, I just think Wayne's World. So that's, that's yeah. yeah. You can't really be afraid of, of Gareth and Wayne's World, can you? He seems no. very, very quaint. He's adorable. Yeah. Lovely. I feel they should only they do it in America. Well, they name Storm really crappy name. You give them something like I'm not going to run from Storm Gareth, but I might run from like you know say Storm Thanos. That might make me move quicker. Yeah, you know. Well, it's got to begin with G though, hasn't it? Yeah. So, okay, Storm Galactus. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's Storm that's Storm God Storm Godzilla. That that will make me run. You know. <laughs> Fuck yeah, yeah, Storm Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to run from Storm Gareth though. Um, but yeah, we're much the same up here. It's just windy, rainy, wet, horrible. Staying inside weather, which is the way I limited my cinema going of late. Um, but this week it's not about new films, it's about older films to an extent. And so we're going to focus on uh, Ron, well, Ronald William Howard, better known as Ron Howard. Um, he's an interesting one because to me he's, all, he's like sort of the antithesis of Hollywood. Like he's always been Hollywood. You know, yeah. he's, he's sort of like, is this, he's in that weird kind of a director you know the face of. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's he's synonymous with it entirely, isn't he? Yeah. He's been around forever, and he's... I don't think he's ever been... He, he's never gone he's away. Been, go on, sorry. He's never gone away at any point. Like, not, not even... No. He's, just, he's faces, like, from a very early age, I know of Ron Howard. Yeah. And you don't know when, because... I mean, but most of us would say Happy Days. I'd say Happy Days. Well, well before our time. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, he's just... And he just seems like a good guy, Ron Howard, doesn't he? Yeah, I've never really had a bad story about Ron Howard, which is no. which is quite nice to know. Um, but yeah, so he's born on the first of March, nineteen fifty-four. So he's sixty-five years old. I think he should be. He feels like he should be older than that. I think he should be well older than that. I thought he'd be mid seventies. Yeah, no, six, <laughs> sixty-five. And that's this is because he he's born in like Oklahoma or something, but his family all moved to Hollywood very early on because his dad was an actor um, called Rance Howard. I think he died quite recently, like one hundred and twelve or something like that. So he died very recently. Um, but Ron Howard's first screen credit was in 1959, so he was like five years old. Oh my god! Wow. Um, and then in 1960, he was in a TV show called uh, the Andy Griffith Show. He played Opie Taylor, and that oh. part, that partly made him really famous in America because um, everyone knew him as Opie. That's what people still call him to this day is Opie. But I don't think that show ever came over here because the thing I only know him from is for Happy Days. Yeah, and that was like 74 to 80. And to me, he will always be. So he's on it, he's on it for 74 years, but around to like 84, but he was only on it for the like first six years. But to me, that is Ron Howard, I, I, I remember. To me, like, he will always be Richie Cunningham. I can't imagine him. Like, when I see him talking on TV, I still I still think to myself, oh, look, Richie Cunningham's done good. Like, yeah, he's, like, yeah. likewise. Yeah, I think we might be the last generation who like recognise him as that, because I don't think Happy Days get shown anymore. No, but it, 
we uh, obviously it's before our time, but it was endless reruns when we were kids. Yeah, like it? It I remember, I remember it being on Channel Four, like in the mor- like in like most mornings, it was on like Channel Four constantly, you know, and like and amongst like the kids' TV, you had Happy Days, so we kind of still got that. Mork and Mindy, yeah, and stuff like that. We still got that kind of little slice of that Americana, but I feel that's now totally no one really knows that anymore. That's a shame in a way. Yeah. I liked it. I actually really enjoyed Happy Days and I actually I did pine for the happiest of days. Um, <laughs> um, before he did Happy Days though, he did do one film which was American Graffiti. Yeah, which I can't was, remember him in it. I've watched it in a long time. He's got a very small role in it and he was just yeah. he was basically playing a greaser kid in it or a, a Richard Cunningham type in it. Um, yeah. I think the only reason that film is remembered it's a bit like the days and confused of its time. There's a lot of people in it who went on to do like bigger things. Yeah, but it's nowhere near it's nowhere near as good as something like Days Confused. But there's a lot of people, and you go, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're there. It's like you get Harrison Ford's in it, you get um, Richard Cunningham, well, Ron Howard in it, and George Lucas obviously directing the film as well. So sort of, it has that little place in cinema history for sort of like the beginnings of of something. Dreyfus, yeah, Dreyfus, yeah. yeah, he turned up in it as well. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like you know when you think of like um, the Frighteners for um, yes. You know, it's, it's and the film itself is enjoyable, it's fun, but you know it's a proving ground for something bigger. Yeah, that's that, very much so. And that's, what you get, and that's what I feel you get from something like um, American Graffiti. Um, but even while he was working on um, Happy Days, he started to sort of get involved in directing. He obviously seen himself more as a, a filmmaker um, than just an actor. Um, and it was interesting, he, as a director, he didn't really put himself in much, which, I mean, we're going to go over three films in a minute, but I don't. he's not one of the guys who would put himself on film a lot. No, certainly not in his. I don't know his, his first couple of films, but I can't really think of him in any of his films, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not. He's not, not like a Clint Eastwood or even like a. No. You know who, who's the guy who directed Iron Man? I can't remember his name now. John Favreau. Uh, Favreau. Yeah, he puts yeah. you know he, they put himself in things you know they got to build himself right even Tarantino obviously guys like that. Yeah, Tarantino, yeah, yeah, totally. They like put himself in their own work and but he he never seemed the need for that he almost seemed to want to shy away from it a little bit he wanted to get away from the acting um part of it but yeah he has come back recently with things like Arrested Development and stuff you know he's sort of maybe dipped his toe back into that into that world um but yeah we start we start with his, his directing career so from nineteen sixty nine to seventy seven he done a, a lot of short movies and again that's just some sort of show he could put together a film in the same way that any director has to do you know indie filmmakers and this seems like sort of his sort of almost indie phase um, and I think it was almost just like sort of test runs for studios to show he could do stuff um, so his first major film he directed was a film called Grand Theft Auto yeah which, I've not seen this I have seen it I saw it years ago a long time ago um, so it was made in 1977 um, it was Roger Corman funded so that gives you an idea of what the budget was like Okay. Uh, it was shot over the course of like about two weeks, maybe maybe fifteen days. So it was shot very quickly. Um, he is in this one. Um, Ron Howard turns up, and he is actually in this film as well. It's just a chase movie, and it's it, see honestly, it's not a bad like sort of B movie shot in a budget movie. It, it's totally fine and totally acceptable. And, and, and if you've done by anyone else, you go, oh, that's that's actually quite fun. And it's quite enjoyable, and for him, it maybe showed what he could do. You know, and. It's probably gonna be hard for a guy like Ron, like Ron Howell to do a, bo- a bare bones indie because everyone knows who he is. But this is, this is probably he's a, he's a kid there as well, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's, so 
yeah, so so young, and also it's just sort of like this is probably the closest you could get to doing something that was like completely independent. You know, it's not independent, but it's like as close as you possibly could get to it. Because as soon as you slap, yeah. as soon as you slap his name on it, it's going to get some sort of involvement from bigger parties. Um, but yeah, not a bad film, not a not a great film by any stretch, but enjoyable enough. Before it's, it's, it's a B movie, it's a genre piece, it's totally fine. Um, cool. After that, was a series of. TV movies called Cotton Candy, Skyward, Time Crystal. I've not seen any of these, so I can't comment on them. Some absolute titles there, isn't it? Yeah, there? but. Did you say Sky Crystal? No, uh, Time Crystal and Skyward. Oh, Time Yeah. Even so, that's proper B movie titles. Yeah, it does sound like, yeah. maybe almost like those movies of the week used to get on television, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So, those ones. Can't comment on them, never seen them. Um, probably first, after that, 82 came Night Shift. Have you ever seen Night Shift? I have not. It has got Henry Winkler and it's got Michael Keaton. He worked with Keaton a lot early on. He did, yeah. I didn't realise how much he was to looking through it. And it's basically, it's a film yeah. about, it's a comedy drama, which he seemed to, he had a good kind of, um, sort of, he seemed to work in that genre quite well when you look at his early work. Um, yeah. And it's basically, it's a brothel and a morgue. That's essentially the, the, the conceit of the film. It's these like morgue guys who there's a like a gangster guy dies in the morgue and they start using the morgue as a brothel to, to make money and okay. as and as you can imagine all level hijinks follow on from there. And uh, have you seen it? I have seen it actually. So many years ago, it's it's again not a bad film. It's Keaton. You know, you forget Keaton back in his early days. He wasn't um, dramatic. Keaton. He was a comedy actor. Yeah. In much the same way that Tom Hanks was for a long time. Yeah. Keaton was like so he's enjoyable because he he actually can do comedy really well. You know, when you watch stuff like, yeah, like Mr. Mom and Beetlejuice and things yeah. like that, he can do comedy. It's just that Batman sort of changed him into, you know, the, the Michael... The man. Yeah, yeah, man, the Keaton, yeah. and the Keaton that everyone sort of knows now. But it's a totally fine film. It's not dissimilar to the kind of Joe Dante stuff, like um, The Burbs oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, all that. Just all that kind of 80s sort of movies you maybe watch late night on Channel 1 on you know, a Friday night. It's, yeah. it's, tot- it's an absolutely... It's a fine... It's an okay film. What's interesting is that even these little flicks before the next flick, which is obviously a massive one, he's making money straight from the off, isn't he? Yeah. Pretty decent box office turnouts for these little films. Yeah, but these, this film made money and it didn't cost much to make. So this, I think this is one of the big things about Ron Howard is he yeah. doesn't make much that fails. You can question some of the quality sometimes. Maybe you can say, you know, maybe it wasn't the best of movies, but rarely does a film ever, you know, not make its money. You know, and, and that's that's it. That for a director, we've talked about the media in the past, with like people like Woody Allen and things like that. You know, you can argue with them all about their, their artistic merits, but if they keep making money, then people will keep giving them money to make movies. Yeah. You know. So true. Yeah. After they've done one TV movie called Little Shots, which I've not seen, so I can't comment on that. But the next one, like you said, is his sort of breakout hit. I would say, um, is Splash. Yeah. Starring Tom Hanks, John Candy, Daryl Hannah, about a mermaid that comes to our world and falls in love with Tom Hanks as we all do um, I assume you've seen this one yeah I have seen Splash I like Splash I really like Splash uh, it has a special place in my heart Splash uh, I watched it quite young and, uh, and uh, yeah I just thought it was it's a really sweet film um, it's pretty fucking weird When I watched it again not so long ago mm. a few years maybe three or four years ago and I thought some of the um, stylistic moves that uh, Howard was employing were really quite innovative. Yeah. They seem quite, they almost seem hackneyed now, but it's, I think so many people have imitated them. Um, 
he's a better director than he's given credit for, really. He's always seen as the steady, the steady hand. hand, which yeah. is true. Um, but there's some really nice flourishes in, in the film. Yeah. Uh, and I would probably say Shape of Water is heavily influenced by Splash. Yeah, well, I think Splash has definitely got a little bit of the Creature of the Black Lagoon in it as well. You know, it's, it's sort of taking, yes. it's sort of, it's yeah. it's making a sort of sunnier version of that. And obviously, yeah, yeah. Shape of Water obviously comes from that as well. But yeah, no, definitely, you can definitely see there is um, definitely echoes throughout, you know, between those three films. It's definitely, they're all inspiring. And I think they're all, the root cause is all Creature of the Black Lagoon. That's definitely the sort of the, the one that. Yeah, fish fuckery of all things. Um, it's a lot. I it's, it is very funny, but it is, there's a darkness to that film as well. It's, it's not dark, dark, but it is it's sort of a bit off kilter. It's not quite as fluffy as you maybe expect it to no. be. Um, I think if they made no. that film now, it would be a, it would be a lot lighter. It would, you know, it would be. I think, did they remake it recently? I can't remember if they did or not. Not sure. Then that one called Aquamarina, which I think was roughly the same idea, no, but maybe. Yeah. Um, but it would be a lot lighter. It would usually probably be like teenagers. It would be. Um, you know, probably a PG movie. This, this is. I'm not saying it's it's an 18 by any stretch, but there's definitely some stuff in you go. Oh, that's a wee bit out there, you know. And like you said, it's it's going to be some flourishes for the camera. So it, it, you can see why it made it huge. Um, and like you said, it's probably sold by the fact you know Tom Hanks sells the fact that John Candy's his brother in the film, which I think is even more amazing piece of acting. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like that's that's. That, that, that does not make any sense. It's probably one of John Candy's quite early films, I think, wasn't it as well? It's not. He's, he wasn't massive at that point, I don't think. No, probably not. He's probably just on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So yeah, and, yeah. and Hanks wasn't huge at that point either. Well, I don't think. Um, no. Unless, like you said, this is, this is Hanks. Is when he's still doing the um, like the comedy stuff, you know. But no, I yeah. I really dig Hanks. Smash is a lovely film, and I guess it, it doesn't it doesn't age badly. I think it still works now. No. We yeah, watched it. I think so. Yeah, we watched it last year, and I think it's a, it's a cracking good movie. Um, and I think I can be proud of that one. Um, after that, Cocoon, eighty-five. I love Cocoon. Yeah. I cannot recall a second of Cocoon. Honestly, I know I've oh, seen yeah. it. I know, oh. I know the premise of Cocoon. Yeah. Um, and I can. I know the the you never get older. Oh, what's it? You never grow old, you never die, or something. What's the tagline for it? Yeah. 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 Um, but I genuinely can't remember a, sing, a single moment of the film. It's one of them. I think around this time, there were probably family-friendly films that I was watching with my mum and dad when I was quite young. And so this, there's a few that stick in my mind. Um, Cocoon is one of them. Flight the Navigator uh, might be one of them, same uh, time. Yeah, yeah, that'd be one of them. What's, what's the one with Johnny Five as well? Short Circuit. Battery's not, yeah, Short Circuit, yeah. Battery's Not Included. Yeah. Things like those kind of 80s kind of feel. Back to the Future as well. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the version of these kind of films. Um, and I think Zemeckis was involved in Cocoon at some stage, wasn't he? But, Possibly, uh, yeah. It, yeah, it's uh, it's just a, it was a really sweet film. I wonder if it's a pile of um, saccharine shit now, but I enjoyed it at the time. That's it's all the fee it's all the fee you've got with these kind of films that you remember as a kid. Like I remember watching Flight the Navigator like recently again for the first time as an adult. And to be honest, shit. Really? See, I, that's another one. I, I have not watched that in a long, long time. Now, yeah. So I don't know what. Don't want to break that spell. Yeah, I mean it's still fine, but it's just it's not the way you remember it. You know, it's just it's not yeah. it's not the same punch and joy as you remember it. Same with because you're yeah you're thirty three years old now, you, you don't have the same enjoyment. Yeah. Of, you know, and you start seeing the the problems with it. Same with short circuit batteries not included. Even the Goonies, for God's sake, the Goonies doesn't hold up on rewatching as an adult yeah, either. No. There's so many so many problems yeah. with that film. I mean, I still love it, but there are problems with that film. Um, oh yeah. Cocoon, would you did you remember enjoying it though? Yeah. I remember loving it, and 
I miss Steve Gutenberg. I'd like Steve Gutenberg back on screen the, at once. The Goot has to return, I agree. You know, they seem he seems to always talk about making police academy sequels and it's like I mean that's all <laughs> that's it's all well and good, you know, Goots, but you know, no, do something better. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um but Cocoon, good solid movie, and again that's a good one two punch, you know, splash followed by Cocoon. Yeah, it is. Both did very well, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, next one is Gung Ho. Have you seen Gung Ho? Colin likes this. Colin likes this movie. Um, again, Michael Keaton starring. Um, okay. Also got uh, George Went, the guy from um, Cheers. Oh uh, yeah. Norm and Cheers. Um, Norm. Yes. Yeah, Norm. Yep. John Turturro stars in it as well. He well not stars. He's in it. Yeah, it's, I think it's a young Turturro. Obviously, he's quite a young guy. Uh, it's basically about a Japanese car company who buy a US car company, and it's the sort of clashing of worlds that come when that happens. So it's like okay. you know, so it's like the American company who are like sort of in the rust belt of America. You know, they're all panicking because they're going to lose all jobs because these Japanese people are going to take them all away. Um, it's just it's just not fish out of water, but you know, just it's two worlds colliding that don't need to collide. They don't normally collide. And it's a, all the stuff that comes from that. It's a comedy drama again. It's again, it's it's. It, I mean, I think you probably find it. Like, I don't think it made that much a, a big break, but it's it's not a bad film. Again, I saw it, again. I saw it ages ago. Not a terrible movie. Just a, a solid Sunday afternoon movie. Yeah. You know, certainly nothing stand out about it that I remember. Like something, you know, nothing being amazing about it. But yeah, again, totally accept. But I would probably equate it a little bit to Canadian Bacon. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, like just fine as it is. Yeah. He's not aiming. It, it doesn't seem like his early films, he's not aiming for, you know, um artistic immortality no just just making solid good films like popcorn cinema that you'll go and see and maybe on a Sunday and that that will do you I mean, it feel like have to have a lasting impression something like Gung Ho I mean I'm not going to harp on it too much it's not a great piece of art it's not a brilliant piece of art but it seems like one of those kind of films that's disappeared from the cinema these days you know that film that's made for a kind of maybe more adult audience but it's not having to be totally heavy you know it can be yeah. light you know but Kids won't like it, but you know people who are between the age of thirty and forty might. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. film, that, that kind of film seems to have disappeared from the movies in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And um, you see, he didn't swing for the fences, but he, his next one out does seem to go for that. You know, um, he did do, do an RTV movie called Take Five, which I think was contractual obligation. Um, it seems like he, he might have a deal in place to do a lot of TV films, and you have to kind of knock them out. So, okay. again, not seen it, so don't know about it. Um, Eighty-eight was Willow. Yes. Do you like Willow? No, not really. I don't. I know Colin loves Willow. No, I don't get it. Lots of people love Willow. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to know that you didn't like it because I didn't know that. Um, uh, I've I've never been a big fan of it. I think I think it's really a bit cheesy and a bit naff. Yeah. He, I mean, Howard has never been shy to admit he wanted to do a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And he obviously got his chance later on, but this almost seems like he's trying to do a little bit of a Star Wars movie. Like he wanted to get involved in that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, I think Lucas was attached. Yeah, Lucas attached. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's a writer of it or something, but yeah, he definitely seems like yeah. he, he, he wanted to work with Lucas. He, he seemed to, he obviously likes Lucas and he, he wanted to do that kind of, he wanted to be in that world. Yeah, I think people who are from a certain era seem to really dig it. You know, like, yeah, Col, like yeah. Colin loves it. And it's people, people who like, people who love, you know, that film Brazil. Yeah. Again, I don't yeah. get it. I totally don't get don't it. Don't get Brazil. 
Labyrinth is another you can throw in there. Don't get Labyrinth. But again, I, I, I said Jill loves Labyrinth, and I think you've got to see that at the right age. I think so. Yeah, you're probably right, dude. I didn't I see quite late. I didn't see Labyrinth and Dark Crystal until I was uh, like well in my twenties, where she saw them as a kid yeah. and she loves them because yeah. she never saw like the Goonies until she was like in her twenties, so she didn't like the Goonies. But I've still got you know a, a soft spot for that, too, even though it's terrible. Bowmoats are terrible, and I still got a real soft spot for it. Um, but yeah, Willow, I know it's it probably as you it's probably his biggest swing at that point in time. To yeah, try I'd and make... say so. It's, bit, it's he's definitely gone for it, hasn't he? Yeah, um, um, and I think it did good business. No doubt, um, and it was good to see. Was that, that one of, must have been one of Val Kilmer's early bigger roles. Yeah. After, um, yeah. The what brilliant comedy he did? What was the brilliant comedy? Top did? Secret. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's good. And it had your man from. Fucking hell! I've lost lost my brain today. Um, what's his name? Warwick Davis. He's yeah. As well, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and obviously, it just feels very like I said he's trying to do, trying to prove he can do Star Wars kind of stuff, you know. And, and I don't know. If, I don't. Know, I mean, eighty-seven. When did Empire come out? Then I think wasn't it. And then the Jedi came out the year after. Ninety. No, Jedi wasn't in late. It wasn't late as ninety, no. was it? No, it can't have been. Yeah, maybe earlier. Star maybe Wars was Star Wars was seventy seven, wasn't it? Seventy eight. Yeah, and then was maybe Empire eighty four, and then eighty seven. Ah, it could be something like yeah. I can't I can't remember my years yeah. for, for them, but yeah, it does seem very much in that world. Like I said, people love Willow. I'm I don't really get it, but people do seem to love yeah. Willow. And they do. Yeah, um, eighty nine Parenthood. I have seen Parenthood a long time ago. That's the Steve Martin one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I remember liking it. I remember thinking it was quite funny, but again, I was quite young. Again, Steve Martin at this time was he? He wasn't. What what, what Steve Martin was it? Was it Steve Martin we know from like Roxanne era? Is it, was it Steve Martin still doing the stand up at this point in time? I think he was gone, wasn't because um, Steve Martin in his prime was probably late seventies, early eighties. So I think this is the. The beginning of the Steve Martin decline, probably. Pro, yeah. Um, so this this, uh, this came after the jerk. Yes, good. Must be a good ten years after the, the jerk. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's all is it? Steve Martin he's trying to get into that sort of father bride territory, and he's trying to yeah, almost be a little bit like exactly. He exactly. So he's it. lost that that mad edge of like the man with two brains, the yeah. jerk, and things like that, and he's becoming more anodyne and. He's trying to be. He's trying to be an actor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and losing the edges of the humour and yeah. stuff and the weirdness yeah, yeah. and obviously, obviously he's he, he done weird for so long he's forgotten how he, he, he can't go weird enough anymore yes yeah it's a shame because he's an incredibly funny man Steve Martin yeah uh, yeah it's uh, easy to forget that same with Eddie Murphy really yeah I mean like I said it's weird that their last great com- film was together probably oh Bowfinger yeah amazing. probably sad that that's and that, was about, that must be at least 15 nearly 20 years ago now but that was a, the, the, probably the last film they done yeah. Great, between the two of them was the same film, which is kind of crazy to think about. That is, that is crazy. Um, but I'm assuming Parenthood done a lot of money based on who's in it, and I think I, I, generally, yeah. I generally can't recall. But again, it's, from what I remember of it, it seems like one of those, like I said, Sunday afternoon films, maybe Sunday night films. Yeah, and it was around the time Rick Moranis was in everything, so that's fine by me. Um, it, yeah, it, it's completely forgettable, but yeah. fine. Yeah. It seems at this, at this point in his career, it's almost like the uh, maybe splash aside. He's a king of the three-star movie. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I and agree with that. Absolutely. There's, there's almost nothing wrong with that. No. You know, it's, it's just that you're always wondering, has he got more in him? Yeah. Has he got more in his arsenal? And thankfully, he did show that he, he 
definitely have. He does. Um, particularly with his next one, which I think is an absolute masterpiece. Um, maybe we'll disagree. I think it's an absolute genius piece of movie filmmaking. Uh, 91 is Backdraft. Yeah, Backdraft is his, his first Stone Cold classic. I agree. It's still, yeah. great. It's still great now. I know, people People do call it a B-movie and, and maybe give it a bit of shit. I think it's a fucking phenomenal film. I think it's brilliant oh, from start it. to finish. Um, I've mentioned before, I love the soundtrack to Backdraft more than probably I love any soundtrack. It's my favourite yeah. soundtrack. You do, you listen to that soundtrack a lot. I do listen to that soundtrack a lot. A I do, yeah. Um, I just, I don't know what it is. Just, that soundtrack just gets me going in every situation. Um, again, one, it's one of those films that starts out, it's one of those like beginning of that like great casting movies, you know, because everybody's in this yeah. film. You've got De Niro, you've got... Um, obviously Fuck, the, De Niro's in it. De Niro's in it, yeah, <laughs> Keaton's in it. Not Keaton, sorry. Um, Kurt Russell was in it, obviously. You've got the yeah. Baldwin in it. You've got Donald Sullivan pops up in it as well. Jennifer yeah. Jason Leigh, Rebecca De Mornay. It's like it's a huge, like de- decent cast in it. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a cracking movie. I think it's a really great action film. And again, it's an action film you don't see in the cinema anymore. It's just like sort of aimed at sort of maybe a fifteen crowd, yeah. you know, but doesn't scrimp on the scale and it's just showing just a really. I wouldn't say a fun film, but definitely it's just a crackingly good action film and a good story, bit of mystery in it, romance. It's got a bit of everything. I agree. Uh, it's 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 a rollicking good romp. Is Backdraft? And yeah. It's one of those films you remember. I remember catching it. it. Probably you know in the old days, you know, old people like us when we would only have to watch, only get to watch films on BBC One or something. It would be on late at night. And you'd, you'd catch it, and you shouldn't be watching it. You're still probably only ten or eleven. Yeah. You'd just be it completely uh, enraptured with it. Yeah, uh, it's it's a Friday night. It's a Friday night movie. It really is. It's definitely. a proper good Friday yeah. night movie. Um, and in the yeah. cinema, it'd be a great Friday night movie in the cinema as well. And I, I have nothing but love for Backdraft. I will watch it as often as possible. I think it's an absolutely great movie. And I'm looking forward to the Blu-ray coming out so I can watch Agreed. it. So I can watch it in high definition joy. Um. <laughs> After that, 1992, he, did, he went historical. He did um, a film I have a, a, I don't know why I have a soft spot for this movie, but I do. Um, and it's got f- a problem. With it's, this film. I do have a problem. I like this film. It's a film called Far and Away, um, starring Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, and everybody else who can't do an Irish accent. Um, <laughs> I, do, I, I like this film, and I don't know why. I know it's got major. I know it's got major historical inaccuracy. I know. The actors are terrible. I know the story's fucking ridiculous, but I I enjoy the shit out of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I have seen it. I, I remember not th- thinking this is not very good, um, but there there is a there is a sweetness and a warmth to it. Yes, uh, despite all the flaws. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It is like a blanket film. You feel kind of cozy watching it because you just you. It's. I think it, it, all it comes down to the, it's the cast. You know, Tom Cruise is it, you can people can malign him all they want something, but he's a fucking a, a, like magnetic actor to watch. Completely, you know, yeah, you're drawn into Cruise as soon as he's on screen, and look, look how good Kidman's gone on to be. Her uh-huh. career is so incredible. I think so varied. Yeah, um, but like you know, Cruise, he has he is a movie star of the highest. He has a movie star. He's not an actor. He is a movie star. He he, he can be a, he can be a great actor at times. There's no doubt in that with other films he's done. But other than that, he is just a he is a movie star, uh, you know, through and through. And there's not many of them about anymore. Um, and he is he is most definitely one of them. And I just I, I, I don't know why it is. I love Far Away. I think it's like I said. I, I don't know what what it is about it, but I just I like it a lot. And I can't even defend it properly. But I, I just I, I I enjoy the movie a lot. We all have 
those films, though, yeah. don't we? They, they, they touch a part of us, and even though our logical, reasoned, critic part of the brain is saying, this is a piece of shit, yeah. you, can't, you can't get away from the emotion and the, and the nostalgic feel that that has. It's like, it's a spell cast upon you, and you can't undo it, and that's fine. Yeah, I know if I watched Far Away for the first time now, I would watch it and go, that's crap, that's like 90s shit. But because I saw it in the nineties when I was young, I, I, it somehow it, it speaks to me. I like yeah. it. I would put on a double bill with Brooklyn. That's what I put on a double bill with. Good, good double bill. Yeah. <laughs> Bro- Bro- Brooklyn is vastly superior. Yeah. Hmm. It's vastly superior, but it's a good, it's a good lead in. You know, it's the same it's rough. A good lead in, yeah. yeah, yeah, same, same, same rough. You know what it is? I think, I think when I saw Far and Away, I think it was maybe about twelve or thirteen, maybe eleven or twelve actually. And I think just before that, I'd watched Once Upon a Time in America. Oh yeah, rock film. Right, it's, I mean, a great film, and everyone will probably, no one will argue that <laughs> Once Upon a Time in America is a better film than Far and Away. But I remember being Once Upon a Time being a real sort of not a drudge to get through, but it's a long ass movie, and, and there's, oh, a, yeah. there's a lot of darkness, oh, a lot of hours. yeah, and it's a lot of and it's it's bleak at times, and it's just kind of horrible at times. But it's Far and Away. It's, yeah. Everyone seems kind of happy, you know. Yeah, there's a, there's a palate cleanser to that, you know, yeah. there's a little antidote, yeah, yeah. I get that. Maybe that's why I like it, but anyway, I, I'm, like I said, I can't really defend why I like Farnaway, I just, I just like Farnaway. Um, next up is The Paper, Michael Keaton. I haven't, I haven't seen The Paper. Paper's good, you'd like The Paper, if you like stuff like broadcast news, network, all that kind of stuff, it's definitely, yeah, it's I'm not sure. anywhere near as good as any of them, but it's still a, a very solid and fun movie. Yeah, it sounds right up my street. Yeah, no, I seen it. very very quick, fast dialogue. It's written by David Cope, the guy who sort of penned a lot of Spielberg stuff back in the day. You know, like Jurassic Park and um, oh yeah, uh, all the Indiana Jones movies and stuff like that. So he's good screenwriting um, credentials, and a really good, really good fun film. Not fun film, good good solid watch. Um, and again, a kind of grown up watch. You know, like he's making a movie. He's mm-hmm. making a movie for grown ups. Some you know, which is something that's sort of again missing from. Society in cinema. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Movie for adults, you know. Um, up next, one you watched on night there, um, 95. So this is like 91, 92, 94, 95. This is, he is consistently pushing stuff through. And he's, and he's, he's getting better and better as well. And, you, and they're not easy films to make. You know, the paper's probably the easiest one. It's just offices. There's nothing wrong with that. But Backdraft, you know, there's a lot of stuff in that that hadn't been done for oh, the first, yeah. you know, a lot of the fire effects. Far and away is a big historical epic in many ways. You know, yeah. it's, it's big sets and. Stuff. And the next one up is um, Apollo 13, which yeah. reunites him with Tom Hanks for the first time, I think, since Splash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nearly yeah. Um, 10 years. Nearly 10 years, yeah. Um, like, what do you think of this one? Well, I haven't watched it in years. Uh, I always loved it. And um, I'm, I'm always a bit wary. Like, we've like, kind of touched upon it now, but when you revisit these films that in your mind are cemented as classics, you go back. So I was a bit wary. But... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a stone cold classic. Yeah. It's so so good. I, I I I was as enthralled with Apollo thirteen last night as I have been when I watched it for the first time. And they, you talk about they don't make films like this anymore. They don't really make films like that anymore because it's not a lot happens for the first hour, hour and fifteen twenty minutes. No, it's so set in it's set in the scene. It's set in what the what it's about. Yeah, it's really well paced. Yes. Yeah. Superbly acted by everyone. It's an absolute powerhouse of a cast, um, and yeah, it's, it's just really fucking good. It's yeah. as simple as that. Really. I can't really think of it. Uh, I can't describe it much better than that. And the detail as well. You know, Howard has gone to painstaking lengths to 
to get the um, to get to get everything as accurate as possible, and, and some of the shots are stunning. Um, but on the whole, it's quite mundane in ways, but completely enthralling at the same time. It's really. a story. It's a survival story. That's what it is at heart. It's nothing more than a survival story. You know, that's that's what makes it. It's it's it could be two. It could be three guys in a life raft, middle of the Pacific, just to happen to be in yeah. space. Um, I love it because like Apollo thirteen is like is pretty much my. I might say my favourite thing because that seems weird to say something disaster, but it is to me the greatest thing that the human race has ever done. I mean, landing the moon was yeah. landing the moon is incredible. That's but that's a success. Everything went wrong with it. Everything went wrong with this, and they still got these guys, you know, back. Back. Yeah. And it's it's fucking it's phenomenal that they did it. How they did it, and and when they, the way they shot in the film, I think is brilliant as well because they seem to get it all down really well. And I've read the book that Jim Lovell wrote. I've watched oh, yeah. documentaries on it as well, and it seems to like they've. They've, they've got it pretty accurate and I love how there's the whole mission control like you don't know anyone's name in it but you know who they are yes they, yeah. every, everybody's got a personality even though they don't have a character name other than what their job role is yeah and that means yeah, a lot and, and the way it ties together like every, can you see films nowadays that try and bring all these like different strands of films together that just fail poorly you know fail at it you've got the story in the capsule which is obviously one the main story. You get the story in Mission Control, which is obviously one story. You've also got the story with um, Gary Sinise, who gets left behind and hits his story as well, which he's got to do. And then you've also got the story with the family back and like you know watching it from like a pet, like you know from that point of view. And to try and yeah. draw all that stuff together is just amazing to me. Like and, it, and it, not only is it cohesive, it doesn't feel long. Like you said, it's perfectly paced. I think it's an absolutely. I think it's a fantastic movie. I don't think. I think honestly, it's the best film he's done. I think it's absolutely brilliant in every way. It's definitely right up there. I think um, special mention to Kathleen Quinlan as well. I thought she was fantastic. She got a, she got an uh, Oscar nomination, I think, for it. So did Ed Harris. I think Ed Harris was robbed. I don't know who won oh, it that yeah. year, but Ed Harris is amazing in that film. Harris is so good, even though he still looks weird with hair. He does look weird with hair, but just he has he does that thing that Costner can do. Which is say things that are completely like sort of like cheesy and sort of would be American rah rah rah, but he yeah. says them with such conviction and such honesty that you totally believe it that that, that guy would say that thing. Perfectly put. It's the conviction with Ed Harris. That, yeah, uh, and it's that authenticity. He's like a a sterner version of Costner, isn't he? In that sense. Yeah. He's he's, the, he's got an almost military style tone and intonation, and then it's like he has these little moments at his best, Harris, where he shows a little glimmer of vulnerability because he looks it's so much on him and so much pressure on him and you can see it uh -huh. so every decision is on his shoulders and you can see the weight but only in these tiny little glimmers it's a it's a great performance from Ed Harris yeah I totally agree with you what very completely Oscar worthy I don't know who won the best supporting that year but he, he should have been yeah. in the running to show just that moment it all works out he just, he just sits back in his chair for half a second you know yeah. he just yeah, takes yeah. he, he, he takes one breath essentially and then he yeah. sort of goes. Then he started realizing shit. We still got stuff to do, but it's just it's, everything is in that one breath that that character takes. I think, I think it's phenomenal. Like honestly, yeah. um, also again that film it, it does a lot of stuff that never been done before. It was one of the first films to do that whole going up in that the parabola plane where it would you know do oh, the okay. so all the weightless stuff is weightless. Now it's became right. a lot yeah. of a lot of films are doing it. A lot of films have done it since then. But this was its sort of first. He was the first. Howard took. I think from what I remember in the documentary. Howard took like the three act, four actors up in the the thing to show them what was weightless out, so they could act it out, and basically kind of basically asked them, going, "Could we put a set in here?" And okay. and NASA kind of went, "Yeah, we probably could do it," but you had to shoot the film in like forty second segments. Bloody hell! 
So yeah, so anything where it's a full body shot of weightlessness is in that plane, and anything that's, that's sort of more, that's what we're talking about the the dedication he'll go to from a technical perspective. Yeah, and it's it, like you saying he's churning these films out every year. He mm. must Man can't sleep. Yeah, exactly, isn't it? And like a three different films, but you, you bring a lot of stuff together. Um, 96 followed up with a film called Ransom. Love, great film. I love Ransom really as well. And it doesn't get mentioned yeah. enough. It's a really dark, nasty movie. Like it does, it feels like something that would be like a like a Liam Neeson movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, but it's again, it's um, it's another one of those films that doesn't get made very often no. anymore. Um, it's. It's got a real kind of dark heart at it. It's um, it's a, it's another great Friday night film. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 um, anchored by a, a fantastic Mel Gibson and Rene Russo dual performance. Yep. Um, and Gary Sinise is back on board as well, yep. um, being suitably sinister. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just it pulls on the heartstrings, and you you're completely transported to that plight, and uh, it is uh, two hours of. Utter escapism um, and fear and trepidation, and just again, wonderfully paced film. Yeah, and like I said, it, it twists and turns all the way through it. You probably if you just sit down and start looking at the film in detail, you go, "This doesn't really make sense." Some bits of it, but to me, it, when you watch it at the time, you're totally swept along in it. Um, it's the kind of film. It, it almost feels like a film that um, who's the guy that um, Denzel watched with what, Tony Scott. Oh yeah, yeah. It feels yeah. more like a Tony Scott film than a Ron Howard film. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you could totally imagine Denzel in the lead role for that one, rather than Mel Gibson. Yeah, easily. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think it's a really, it's again a really solid movie, and, and just totally different. It's, it's, it's a real, it's a dark movie. I think it, might, it must be an eighteen. I think I'm sure it's an eighteen. Gotta be. Because yeah. there is some stuff in it. You go, oof. Um, so it's weird to go from like say Backdraft is a fifteen, Far Away is a twelve, The Paper I think was a twelve as well, Apollo Thirteen is a PG to twelve, and then you're going into like a hard eighteen. And you don't really see directors, you know. Going across a gambit like that, you know, you know, they all seem to sort of maybe, particularly now, they sort of pigeon, they'll always get pushed to do this, or even, you know, the 12, 12A film, that sort of, everyone's pushing for that. No one's really breaking out to try and do a 15 or an 18 because they know the, the money's not there for it. Money's not there, yeah. yeah. It's a shame. Um, after that, he did go back to sort of more safer territory, done a film called Ed TV. I, I, I remember really enjoying it. I've not watched. I've not watched it for a long time, but I remember at the time also very much enjoying it. I remember Matthew McConaughey being exceptionally charming in it. He um, was very much so. Is yeah. it Jenna Elfman plays the love interest? I think it is, isn't it? Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. It's a good show. Uh, was it Ellen DeGeneres? Is she the main sort of like producer? Yeah. 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 She's um, uh, yeah. It, it was really fun. It kind of a real precursor for. Reality TV and everything else, so I think ahead it, of the curve. I think it came after the Truman Show, if I'm correct. Okay, that sounds. That's probably around the same time, roughly, isn't so it? I don't know if it's it, a bit after, maybe '98 Truman Show. Yeah, that's within '99. So I don't know if it maybe get put as a, like, oh, it's a, like a, almost a Truman Show ripoff. You know, trying to like capitalize on the success of Truman Show. But it's yeah. it's, it's, t- it's a totally different movie. It's totally it's not dealing with the same idea. No, it's nowhere near as existential. And, no. And, uh, and deep, but it's it's really charming and really fun. Yeah, and but it's, it's it's his first flop, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just, I, I don't know if it flopped. I just remember it not being that maybe that well received as much. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a really charming, lovely film, and I think it's, it's yeah. like I said, McConaughey is charming as shit. You know, he is one of the most charming actors in Hollywood. So it lives it lives and dies on him, and he totally nails it. I think, and it was almost 
you know, McConaughey doing McConaughey in that era was doing all that kind of stuff. He's doing all the kind of rom com dramas and all that kind of stuff. He, he knew his he knew his brand very well, and, and, yes. he, and he knew what he was bringing to it. But no, I, I genuinely I think it's a really nice film. I don't know if I we watch it and enjoy it quite as much, but I remember at the time really liking it and really thinking this is a really charming, yeah. well done film. Um, I think I think I might even I think I've got it on DVD as well. I remember it being really hard to get a hold of. I think I've got it on DVD for some reason. I don't know why I think that, but I'm sure I've got it on DVD. I was trying to get it for ages, and I, I remember it being really difficult to get a hold of for some reason. Yeah, I'm looking up my DVD collection just now, and I'm trying to see if I can see it, and I can't see it. But I'm, I am ninety percent sure I've got it somewhere because um, I remember really liking it. Um, but yeah, after that, I think this is one. This is his next film. I think it's, it's two thousand. I think it's. I didn't like it at the time, and I've rewatched it since, and I dislike it even more. And it's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, I've never seen it, but is that the Jim Carrey? Jim one? Carrey one, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I didn't think it looked great. Uh, wasn't worth the makeup. <laughs> it suffers yeah, from the it suffers from the cult of Jim Carrey. Yeah, you know the idea that Jim Carrey, which Jim Carrey is a very funny guy. This was like sort of like you just let Jim Carrey do Jim Carrey, and whatever comes out will be gold. Not always the case. Not always, not around this time. No, it was the beginning of his idea, wasn't it? Yeah, his decline. Um, um I, I, I just didn't enjoy it. I mean, I, I think it's weird because they always try and push the Grinch films on Britain, and, and the Doctor Zeus. Don't get it. Is it yeah, Doctor Zeus? Doctor Zeus wasn't a thing over here. Not really. No, no, none of it was. No. Yeah, um, so does none of these films do particularly well over here? Do they? Cat in the Hat and all that. No, so can't. Well, can't have just a terrible movie. That's why. Um, Awful. I did see the Grinch movie this year, the one that was the animated one. I very much enjoyed it. Um, Scott Scott Mosher one, yeah. And I saw, is it? I like the Lorax, the the animated one. I really enjoyed well. I think this whole world is is more prone to animation. I think as soon as you make it live action, everything just looks too weird and too odd and just a bit. Yeah, yeah. It it takes you out of any kind of mad reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It seems like a film again. I think someone else might have had in the first place. I don't know if maybe this was like a Tim Burton. Film possibly. I was say, it sounds, yeah, it sounds more like a Tim Burton thing rather than. Yeah, Alex, he would make it a lot darker, I imagine. But yeah, so I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of it, and I, I don't know if it was a passion project for him. But yeah, it didn't really do anything for me. Um, the next one is his first Oscar win, mm-hmm. um, double Oscar win, best picture, best director for A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, um, I think it's his best film, probably. You think uh, so? Yeah, it's. I, I think it's a, a genuine. Stone Cold classic masterpiece, uh, brilliant performance by Russell Crowe. Yep. Um, and it's it's Ed Harris also. Everyone's fantastic in it actually. Um, Ed Harris, Jennifer Connelly. Connelly yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. It's a, it's just a it's a really uh, heartfelt, awkward story. Mm. He's not an easy man to love. Um, no, he's not. I don't think I don't. And I don't. I think about loving him. I just you come out maybe understanding no. him better. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it, it's it's very well crafted. Um, it's just a, a, a very, a, 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 it's got a classic kind of feel, that kind of feel that, every, a universal feel that everyone will love. Anyone who likes film or your family will kind of like it. It's one of them. You could be. It's not a Christmas film, but it could be shown at Christmas and everyone will gather around and watch it. Something like, I don't know, King's Speech or yeah. Forrest, Forrest Gump. You know, one of those classic um, crowd pleasers that everyone will kind of appreciate and like. So uh, I'm, I'm, I was really glad that it got the critical acclaim um, and box office acclaim because he hadn't really had that much critical acclaim up to that point. No, people. Yeah, people if they liked him as a director, he was a good guy doing a good job. This sort of like almost like it's coming out party essentially. You know, you're like you're a, you're a filmmaker now rather than just a director. You know, you've you've done something yeah. more. 
Um, I also, yeah, yeah, in order to, yeah, exactly. You've, you've got a stamp on this. I again also like yourself. I really enjoyed it as well. It's a, it's a cracking, a good film, um, and it's kind of the film now that it wasn't the first to do it, but it's definitely sort of it's it's definitely in that mode of the. I wouldn't say it's Oscar Beatty, but it, it does feel a little bit yeah. Oscar Beatty. Yeah, and, and yeah. Films, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Films have copied it to a great degree since then. You know, if you look at this film, then look at um, what was the one that won Theory of Everything. Yeah, the Hawking yeah, one. Yeah, the Hawking one. Yeah, it's a, a diluted version of this. It's exactly, like it's exactly the same. Even to an extent, even something like Bohemian Rhapsody is the same idea. It's, it's you find someone who's slightly tortured or very tortured, yeah. and you try and show them, and it, and it, the Oscar lights these kind of things. Not to take away from this yeah. film, I don't know, I don't know what it beat in two thousand and one to win the Oscar. So I can't really judge it. I'm not up, up on that, but. It's a fine film. It's a well done film. Like I said, um, Russell Crowe is excellent. And Jennifer Connelly is always amazing. Ed Harris, fantastic as well. So you can't fault it. I think it's a it's a well well done film, um, and it, it falls into that world where like maybe there might have been a bigger film out that year, and you look at the Oscar and go, did that win it? But it, you yeah, think, yeah, maybe. You yeah, think yeah. about it, you go, it probably did. Same like when Spotlight won it. You know things like that. You go, oh yeah, that did. That was a really well done film, and I, I generally really like it as well. Um, yeah. Next one up, two thousand and two. Um, Kate Blanchett, I think, is in this one called The Missing. I have seen The Missing. Oh, I haven't. Um, I have not seen this one. So you, you can. Is it any good? Uh, I remember thinking it was it was trying to be beguiling and weird, and it not everything came off. Um, I'm trying to remember it. It was ages ago. I watched it. It didn't leave much of an impression with me. Um, right. So I, I know I've seen it. I think Tommy Lee Jones is in it. Is yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, there's some good. It's there's, it's one of them where the acting is better than the film. Right. Uh, I think it, it plodded on from what I remember. Right. It's pretty, pretty dark, pretty dark as well in places, but it wasn't it, it wasn't a classic. It didn't leave much of an impression with me. Clearly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Fuck all about it. Um, next one up, two thousand. We so took a bit of, after doing ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two with the Ed TV, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Beautiful Mind, and The Missing. Bit of a gap. Um, he done one called Cinderella Man, back with Russell Crowe again. I really dug this film. Is this the boxing? It's the boxing one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like this film. I yeah. like this film. Um, yeah, I, I, I got slated though, didn't it? I don't think I done that well. I really liked it. I, could, I mean, you talked about it before that boxing is one of those sports. Even if you're not into the sport itself, it, it actually lends itself to be cinematic. I, I think we could do a, a boxing special. Yeah. We could have twenty brilliant boxing films. There yeah. Are so many fantastic. It's one of the few sports that lends itself well to cinema. Yeah. And this is, it's just a really, I think, it, I mean, 2005, was that at the time of the financial crash, or was that just before it? Uh, yeah, just, the financial crash was about 2008. Oh, it's a bit earlier than that, because I was thinking, it, yeah. my mind was, it's, it worked really well, because it was showing, like, sort of, like, the, the depression, and it was showing, yeah. like, one man kind of struggling and trying to fight his way back, and like I said, and just, I remember it's been a really good, like, the way Rocky is, a good underdog story, yeah. you know, and, and the scene when he goes to the, the um, the boxing association, where he's capping his hand to try and get some money from them, and it just—it's so oh, yeah. so heartbreaking. Um, yeah, it breaks your heart. Now. But no, I, I thought it was a really interesting, really well done film. Again, much like the Beautiful Mind, it's it's very classic filmmaking. You know, it's not yes. it's not trying to be extravagant. It's just it's building a world by sets, production design, and then just putting people in it and just showing the world for what it was. And yeah, yeah. I, I really dug Cinderella. I thought it was a really good film, Cinderella Man. I actually really liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I, I like I liked it. I need a rewatch to be honest. It's been a while, but yeah, I remember thinking it's it's good. And you're right with the comparison with the Beautiful Mind. Not just because Russell Crowe's in it, it's <clears throat> it, he's, he finds a good way of ringing um, 
uh, genuine human emotion out of these uh, these characters, yeah, uh, and in, in a non sentimental way, in a very real way. Yeah, very much so. Like beautiful mind as well. Like you said as well. Um, these could so easily be schmaltzy. Oh, easily. Yeah. You know, in the hands different of hands. yeah, different hands, but very saccharine. Very sort. You you struggle to watch it. These they don't fall into that. I think they manage to just it, it's close enough, but it's not that yeah. close. You know, it, it just it approaches it, but it doesn't quite take it all that way, which I think is really is well done. Um, yeah. Up next, incredibly, it might be the only film that has given a bad Tom Hanks performance, um, and that is 2006, The Da Vinci Code. Confession, I have never seen Da Vinci Code, nor any of the subsequent sequels, so because I read half of the book, yeah. Da Vinci Code, so I like, whenever these books, you know, you get these occasional books that are cultural phenomena, yeah. and I just want to read them and see what piece of shit is yeah. <laughs> selling millions and it makes no fucking sense. And I had to give up halfway through because it was just so poorly written. Yeah, Da Vinci so Code. On principle, still in principle, I just didn't watch the film, even though it's got Tom Hanks in it. Terrible, terrible book. The film is also, the film follows the book almost exactly, which tells you kind of where the film is. Tom Hanks has never been wooden in his life, but he is wooden in this. And it, it struck me as a film that was made because the book was so big and they wanted to get it out there as quickly as possible to capitalise on the name yeah. association with it, uh, much like Girl on the Train, much like Fifty Shades of Grey, much like anything else that comes along. These nothing on my tattoos of Auschwitz will follow. I'm sure. Absolutely no, no I absolutely Girl, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as well. Um, yeah. Those films are actually not bad, but something I feel see when you make a film about a massive book, so many people have watched, so many people have got opinions on it. It's, it's bound to fail. Whereas you, if you adapt the book that's been maybe around for like say thirty years, there's yeah. As much, there is more pressure sometimes, but also there's a bit less pressure because it's not quite in the cultural icon. It's not really quite like a touchstone no, for so many people right now. Yeah. Um, it's it's just it's not even an interesting mystery film. It's just a dull mystery film to be honest. Um, and yeah. it strikes me the guy. I don't know if his you know he works for um is it Imagine Studios? Does he run? Does he own Imagine Studios or does he? Co-own it, perhaps. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if they bought the rights for it. and They obviously knew this is a film that we're going to make studio a lot of money has studio a lot of money so he directed it but yeah I, I didn't buy into it at all I thought it was, I thought it was really dull and I, I don't know if you know if we've got it on DVD cause I think Jill did like them because she likes the books um, but I don't think we've got I may, may even have it on DVD but I can, can confirm I will never rewatch it <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I will never ever watch yes, it yes we do have I've just looked we, have, we do have it on DVD I, but I will not be rewatching it anytime soon um, up next 2008 Frost oh, Frost Nixon one of my favourites. Yes. I fucking love this film. I absolutely love it. I love this film as well. Because again, it's a film, it's... If it, Da Vinci Code suffered from trying to do too much by showing too many scenes, too many locations, just moving the camera as quickly as humanly possible to try and move the story along as much as possible, this is the exact opposite of that. You know, it's... Yeah. Essentially, the most of the film takes place in one room. It's a play, isn't it? I mean, it's based on a play, so... Oh, obviously, it's based on a real-life yeah. interview, but then the play was huge. Um... And the same dude who wrote the play uh, wrote this. He was his name Peter Morgan. Yep. And he's he's written a few things, some really good stuff. Damned United. And, yep. Uh, Russian Queen. Um, he's a really good writer, and it's just it's proper one of the few. The first time you'd probably say it's it, it's a di like a, a dialogue feast, not something you'd necessarily associate with Ron Howard films. Um, Dialogue's just so great, the back and forth, great performances from Lang Geller and always fantastic Michael Sheen. Yeah. A massive fan. Isn't it enough stuff, but I love him. Yeah. Um, and I, it's such a, 
it, it just it just flies by this film and I, it's endlessly rewatchable. I've watched it about four or five times. And it, it is a chunky times. movie. It's a chunky film. It's not. It's not. A, yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's worth your time. Um, yeah. I think Apollo thirteen is very dialogue heavy, but I don't understand half the dialogue, so that's different. Yeah. No, it is actually that you, you make a good point there. And they were my favourite, despite the action and everything. My favourite parts of Apollo thirteen were when they're just the three of them are just chatting. Yeah. Um, and that the real humanity again coming out, which is probably Ron Howard's greatest strength. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Frost Nixon got Oscar nominations for Best Picture, Best Director. Didn't win them, but was nominated two thousand and eight. So didn't win. No. Didn't win. No, I don't know what was up two thousand eight. Was that Return of the King's year? Could have been. Could remember Could've it. Been. They didn't win anything for the previous year, but then just swept one year. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. But I may, I may, I may be wrong. I, 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 I don't understand the passing of time. I don't understand when time is anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, again, first, like, like, it's the kind of film you know, the kind of film I like. You know, it, it's, I like dialogue-heavy movies. I like films that maybe don't move around a lot but talk a lot. Um, yeah. So as I was well invested in this. I, I, I loved it. I thought it was excellent. Um, like I said, I'm a big fan. I was really happy to see a guy like um, Michael Sheen, sort of like on that stage, you know, because he'd done The Damned United. It was um, yeah. quite, quite, quite a, a local hit, wasn't it? Um, so that year, yeah, just out of interest, that yeah. year the best pitch was No Country for Old Men. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And best <laughs> best actor was um, Daniel Day Lewis. So, well, it's not. Okay. We, we can give it that. I don't know who won best director. Actually, I'm trying to see who won best director. Um, oh, Joe Cohn. Joe and Ethan Cohn won it. So I, I don't begrudge that. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, you know, fair enough. Fair enough for that. I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, so a guy like Michael Sheen to get like sort of that big stage, you know, because he's never really been in a big film of that level since. He's in, obviously, in Twilight, but he was like sort of very much a bit part player in Twilight. He's not been yeah. in a film like this, you know, where it's the, the massive um, like advertising campaign, the massive push to get people to watch it since, really, has he? I mean... No, he's he's one of them that, he's one of those, it's kind of like the, um, like, a, like a Mark Relance, really, because he's, he's, he's uh, Mark Rylance, he's just so um, respected for his stage yeah. work, and then everything else he's done has been really um, almost like kind of cult films or British films. Yeah. That, and everyone knows how good he is, but he hasn't he hasn't really um, gone on to any Hollywood style transcending films, has he? Yeah, no, it feels, it feels Mark, Mark Rylance done one film for Spielberg, won an Oscar, so that, you know, it's. <laughs> like, that that's a good idea. Like I'm gonna do this one film and I won't do another film again, and then wins an Oscar for it. Like oh well, okay, shit. Mark Rylance, Mark, Mark Rylance is a really good actor. Um, yes. Um, but yeah, and also Frank Lang, Frank Langella um, as well. Seen him sort of front and center as well. He's a guy who's been a great sort of sort of third billing actor, fourth billing actor. Yeah. Um, but again, a guy who gets to show his real acting chops as well because he always is a great actor. Um, to see him front and center as well was was great. Agreed. Really good actor. I mean, he played. He's an excellent Nixon. Yeah. Again, that's what we're trying to get to with the point about Oliver Stone. That's a terrifying Nixon. Yeah. Like that's a scary Nixon. It doesn't even look like him. It doesn't have to look like him. You get the idea of him. No. You know. No. Um, but yeah. So I really enjoyed that. A couple of great scenes where he's um, Langella, well, Nixon is. He's just smashing the whiskey, and there's. Uh, he's just there, sat in darkness, despondent, and he just makes a call to to uh, David Frost and it's pretty chilling yeah, yeah. it's a scary scary vibe to Langella's Nixon yeah I think it's quite interesting for me and you as well to see because I think for most of our lives David Frost was seen as this vast you know sort of like importance in British TV but you forget he started out as sort of like a bit player on like an Australian programme didn't he it was like sort of like yeah and this swaggering kind of playboy 
Rainbow journalist, like ah, laughing Yeah, it, it, it wasn't quite the sort of the bashing of British, you know, journalistic no. ethics that we all kind of see him as now, which he obviously has, he, 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 that's what he is now, but it, it's, it was kind of different for me to see that. Like, oh shit, I never, I never, I never knew there was this side to, I, to David yeah, Frost. I didn't know that until the film. No, I didn't know that yeah. at all. I think the, the, the film starts with him in Australia, doesn't it? He's like doing some cheap ass yeah. chat show in Australia, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it does. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of different. Um, so after Frost Nixon, um, that sandwich was in, that was sandwiched in between the next and the Da uh, Vinci Code series, which was Angels and Demons, much the same as the last one. Not particularly worth worth watching. Pretty boring. Yeah. Nuclear weapon in the Vatican. Um, Hugh McGregor plays. I can't remember if he was a touchy priest or not a touchy priest, but he's playing a priest. I'm going to say he was a touchy priest, but I might be wrong with that. But um, yeah, again, dull. Just. Yeah. Yeah. But huge business. Though. I'm get. I'm gonna bet made a lot of money, and that's why they done it, and that's why they did. That's why they did do a sequel to it as well. So that's these films. As long as they make money, people will keep making the damn things. Um. After that, number uh, 2013 was <laughs> no, sorry, 2011. Sorry, uh, was kind of going back to his early roots with a film called the, Di- the Dilemma. Is that the one with Vince Vaughn about? Uh... Is that with Vince Vaughn in it? I can't remember what it is. Vince Vaughn and Kevin. Vince Vaughn and Kevin James. I have I have no memory of it, but I know it exists. No, no, I, I, I don't know. Have I seen it? I think I have. I don't. I, I can't remember. Is this the one? When, is Vince Vaughn the dad of someone, or is he not the dad of someone? I can't honestly don't remember. It's not the Google one. That's no, that's the Apprenticeship. Yeah. I have no idea what the dilemma is about. I can't honestly cannot recall it in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Dilemma is we can remember nothing about this. Yeah, film. so we'll move on from the dilemma. We'll assume it done well because Vince Vaughn was in it, but we know nothing about it. Um, 2013 done two films, starting with Rush. Yeah, what did you make of Rush? I, I really enjoy, I know shit all about car racing. Um, I don't know anything about Formula One. I have generally no interest in it, but I, I felt really engaged with this film. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the action scenes, like the, the sort of the racing scenes. I enjoyed the performance he managed to get from Thor, which I thought was something. <laughs> not, like we all knew him, as, uh, we all knew him as Thor at that point. So you had to try and convince me he wasn't Thor, and they did that pretty quickly. Um, he did. I yeah. enjoyed. I can't remember the guy's name who played the other guy. Yeah, Daniel. Daniel Bro. Yeah. He was playing. I can't remember who. I can't remember the race. He was Eric, Eric Lander. 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 He was playing. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Yeah. And uh, Hans Nicky Lander. Louder? Nicky Han- Lauder. Nicky Lauder. That's Nicky Lauder. That's his name. Yeah. Hans, I think Hans Lander's a guy from Inglorious Bastards. I'm totally off. I just went German there for yes. a second. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed that. And I, I, it's a real, again, a real heart to that movie. And, it, and it's sort of, again, taking. I like the idea of taking the sport and boil it down to this one sort of like rivalry and one sort of like one upmanship that these two guys seem to have. And I like the idea of like the rebel versus uh, sort of the student of the sport, that kind of thing. You know, I, I generally I thought it was decent. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really well done movie. I agree. Uh, I. Weirdly, this with my dad on Christmas Day uh, when it came out a few years ago, and uh, we both loved it. We we like racing a bit more. I used to be into the, the the Formula One when I was younger. I'm not right. into it now, really. But uh, yeah, I like like anything with, with sports. It's all about the personalities that make it. Yeah, and uh, it's it's that contrast between the pair of them, and then that mutual respect is yeah. always a really cool thing that they have that at the end. Um, and uh, yeah. You know, he was kind of like the George Best of racing, wasn't he? Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's what they played on, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was a really enjoyable film. And as you say, I thought the, uh, the, the, the driving action scenes were really um, 
invigorating and really cool. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of time for Rush. It was, a, it was the best film in a little while. Yeah, that, it was interesting. The driving stuff was interesting and not boring, which is a lot of the films can get boring just doing, you know, watching a guy race on a track. Um, yeah. I, I, and you said you watched it on Christmas Day, you said, yeah. It, it almost yeah. feels like it feels like the perfect Boxing Day movie. Yeah, 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 it is actually. Yeah, yeah. wait a day. Yeah. yeah, there's films like that. There's films that come out. You go, that's a good Boxing Day film, and that feels like a good Boxing Day. You can imagine because there's not there's not much in it that's offensive, really, is there? Yeah. He, he's yeah. shagging enough at the start. We don't really see much at the start of that. But other than that, it's pretty it's pretty family friendly, I think, from what I recall, isn't it? It is. There's yeah, not, it is. You know, there's, there's but, a darkness, you know, when Nicky Lauda has the the accident, accident yeah, the scars. But uh, on the whole, no, it's 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 just a story about. Um, uh, personalities and, and the, the emotional power of sport. I yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, also in 2013, he made a film called Made in America, the first documentary, um, The Fly in the Wall, about Jay-Z organising a big music festival. Have you ever seen it? What? No. No, never. No. Apparently it's very good. It's good. It's, it's, it? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I've never actually seen it, so I can't judge it. But apparently, I'm going to try and look it out now, because I, I don't know if it was... It wasn't... I don't know if it's Coachella, but it's something like Coachella. <laughs> Um, this, that Jay Z's trying to organise, and it's like it might just be from what I've read, it could be a little bit more just like a music video, like just recording all the arts, the the like basically like recording the day and just recording all the acts and stuff like that, and just showing them off. But maybe it's got a little bit more than that because it's about behind the scenes stuff like that. But it's get it got decent reviews on the um on the IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't that's know. pretty cool. It's like you know, it's almost um, the creative toll it takes from. Actually directing actual films, and yeah. I always found that people like Scorsese needed to take a. They stepped away from that with doing music documentaries. Yeah. It's almost like a, a palate cleanser. Yeah, for them, just, yeah, it allows them to sort of just reset and, and and rethink like what you do next. Personally, I think you should have rethought what you're going to do next because the next film he did was In the Heart of the Sea, um, <sighs> which he oh did with God. again with again with Thorman. The, the best thing I can tell you this: we went and seen. We had tickets to an, like a, a secret screening of this. You know, they do it. Um, Cineworld, the show or film, they don't tell you what it is, just to tell you it's going to be out, come and see it. You, you, we sit around and watch, that's what you get. So, yeah. it was the same week that Star Wars was out, wasn't it? Star Wars, the new one, the, um, not Last Jedi, the first one, um, Force Awakens. Yeah. So, you're, you're, you're a whole cinema basically sitting there expecting, wanting, and praying that it was The Force Awakens, which was never going to be. They, they did come out and say, like, People are buying these tickets. We can confirm 100% it is not The Force Awakens. It will not be The Force Awakens. Do not come and see The Force Awakens. But you need to tell everyone was sitting in there waiting for The Force Awakens. The film comes on. It comes up the BBFC thing saying, in the heart of the sea. And there's a collective sort of just, uh, you know, just, just yeah. of disappointment. Tons of people left, from what I recall as well, <laughs> didn't even watch the film. Um, the film itself, it's just, it's. I can see what he's doing. He's trying to go for that his, historical epicness. You know he's going. Yeah. And it just it doesn't quite come off. It's a it just, it's a slog. I uh, yeah, it really it's is. Yeah. Um, he would better just do a Moby Dick remake. Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. Um, yeah, it ended up confused. Good cast. Great yeah, cast. Yeah. yeah, really great cast and a lot of good people in it. And and some of the action scenes and some of the sort of like the drama scenes look really good. Everyone works in it. Just the story itself is just not that interesting. It's pretty soulless. Isn't yeah. It? it feels a bit pointless. That's what I got from it as well. Just I don't really know what the purpose is. So what am I supposed to think? Am I supposed to think well done to this the, the whale, well done to them, or well out of all that out of all that shit, Herman Melville wrote a good novel. Is that I, I don't really yeah. get I didn't really get the point of the film was trying to make in the end of it. No, I just wanted to read 
Melville's Moby Dick again. Yeah, I'd be oh, like, I'd, if, he, <laughs> if he told me he could remake Moby Dick, um, I'd probably go, you know what, I'll probably watch that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. But oh, yeah, exactly. But you want to watch the story behind what Moby Dick was loosely based on? It's like, no, not really. No, yeah. Not really. <laughs> yeah. It's no. the same, there's a the film coming out, I think, next month called Tolkien. Have you seen this getting advertised? Yes. Uh, that, I don't care, yeah, about about um, J.R.R. Yeah, I, it's I like... Want, that's like... That's like you know, the magician showing you the trick. Yeah. I, I don't really care about his fucking writing process or his life before... No, I don't really care. And also the fact that the Tolkien came out at one, has come out many times and said that, that, what, that Lord of the Rings is not an allegory for World War One or World War II. So it's, it seems like, and you're obviously watching that film waiting for little moments when you'll mention, like, say, you might say the word fellowship, you go, oh, he said the word fellowship, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and God. this, and see that kind of same feel, it's like, oh my God, a whale, oh, that's a whale that's that's going to be Moby Dick, you know, that's going to be this, oh, that's who he's based Ishmael on, you know, it's like, yeah, I just, just remake Moby Dick, to be honest, if you're going to do something like that, Moby Dick's a great story, and it's, just remake that. Yeah. It's not been done for a while, why not just do that? Um, next up, nearly there, nearly there towards the end. Um, his next documentary, I think it's an absolutely great documentary. It's called The Beatles Eight Days a Week. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Not even a huge Beatles fan. Like, you know, I can appreciate what they did, but not a massive fan of them. But I really dug this movie. Yeah, man. But this is a technical achievement. Yeah, it? as much as anything else. Yeah, the fact that if you see the, the behind the scenes of what the footage looked like before they got it. Or when they got it, sorry, and then what it looks like after they've done their stuff with it, it is pretty incredible what they've done with it. It's on a par yeah. with it's on a par with that one that Peter Jackson done recently. The um, yeah, they will, they shall grow. Old. They shall yeah, they shall grow. Old. They shall grow old. It's it's just it's it's an amazing achievement to actually put it on to put it on film and actually to get it the way it looks. I think it's I think it should be really a really great music documentary. Weirdly, I watched that on Christmas Day as well. With my dad. <laughs> what the fuck's going on with my Ron Howard Christmas? That is that their family's wish, and you have to watch Ron Howard at Christmas time. I have to make that a rule now. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Only Ron Howard from the Christmas. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a really it's a great documentary, and it's one that should be you should definitely watch. I'm annoyed I didn't see it in the cinema because it was in the cinema for a little bit longer than you'd expect. Um, oh, was it? But their child, it was one of those things. It was only on the like special preview thing. You had to pay an extra money to go and see, and I was like, oh, I can get something for free. Or I can go and see a film if I went to pay an extra ten to go and see it, so I didn't bother. But looking back, I wish I had paid the extra bit of cash to go and see it uh, on a big screen because it really was amazing. And like I said, it opened up the Beatles to me. Like I said, I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but it opened up sort of who they were a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, I, I'm I'm a big fan, but even if you know, uh, that's really heartening to hear from from his his perspective. If only casual Beatles fans are really enjoying it, then it's obviously a good piece of work. Yeah, and like the stuff when they're playing Shea Stadium when it's on, and they're plugged into the tannoy, that's like that's ridic- <laughs> that's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> isn't it just? Yeah. Uh, you imagine going to a gig now and they plug you into and they plug into like the tannoy, you're like, oh, oh you'd be absolutely yeah. enraged. And you can also see why you're watching that. I mean, why the Beatles gave up touring because it's just it's oh just, god, fuck yeah, oh, like, no, it was just Can't pointless. Yeah. yeah, absolutely pointless. So um, yeah, I thought it was a cracking documentary, and I think I know there's a Beatles film coming out by Richard Curtis. No, um, Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle, Richard, Curtis. but that's not based on the Beatles. That's sort of like a piss taking the Beatles, not piss taking, but sort of like Beatles in a sort of weird tangential alternate universe. Yes. If uh, they didn't exist, if. One guy remembered their songs, and no one else, nobody else in society did. Yeah. But did that, I remember hearing that Ron Howard was talking doing a Beatles film at one point, like an actual Beatles sort of biography at one point, like a proper Beatles be movie. Cool. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong with that, but I'm sure I've heard something like that one. Um, 2016 as well also came out Inferno, which was the third part of the Da Vinci Dan Brown trilogy. Um, 
I recall it being a bit of virus get unleashed on Rome and the world. Um, again, can't remember that much about it. Crap. Um, again, Tom Hanks yeah. is contractually obliged to do this, and he puts the contractual obligated um, effort into it, as does Ron Howard, yeah. to be fair. It stinks of a film that no one wants to make, but they they have to make because it it's making money and this pays the bills for other things. Is that the last one? That's I don't I don't know if a book another book based on it, but I'm sure if there is, they'll make another film on it. Digital Fortress Night One, I don't know if that's based on the same thing, but yeah. Um, if it, I probably think the the promise of this made the Beatles eight days a week possible, which in which case I'm kind of okay with. That's how you got to look at it, I suppose. That's fine. Yeah. It's, um, like Linklater's School of Rock, you know, is you know gives the funding for everything else, I suppose. Mind you, Howard's made a fuck ton of money anyway. Yeah. Um, and I quite like School of Rock anyway. Uh, yeah, I like School of Rock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and finally, his last his last movie, which was out last year, which was Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Yeah. It's it kind of sums right. up. Pointless, it, but all right. It kind of sums up a lot of these films. It's been a very solid three star movie. But you, you just you didn't really care, and you're happy for him getting his hands on something. He probably wanted his hands on for a while, but you feel like, eh, I wish I'd seen. I would, have far, I would have far preferred, even though obviously we discussed. I'm a fan of Ron Howard. I would have far preferred to have seen Lord and Miller's version of this film. You know, based on the fact that Lord and Miller's other film they put out this that year was Spider Verse. You go, yeah, I'd much rather see Lord and Miller's yeah. version of this film because yeah, I think they've done something really interesting with it. But I, but I dare say they were trying to be too interesting from a studio's perspective. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this is, I think this is where it came in that, that he is a safe pair of hands. He won't go over budget. He won't go over time. He'll just, he'll make a good solve. I think, and I think that's one of the things people have said about him all these films is he, if he's got a fifteen week shoot, he will shoot that in fifteen weeks. Yeah, you he know, won't let you down. Yeah, and I think that may, that maybe comes from his upbringing of being working in the Hollywood industry. Like he, he knows how that world works and he wants to play in that world. You know, he doesn't know any yeah. other world and he just he wants to work within that. Um. Yeah, but that's his career. What do you think of it? What What's what your overriding opinion on it? Uh, yeah, I think you you summed up pretty neatly there. You know, safe pair of hands, um, definitely a grafter, works, puts the hours in, a film consistently pretty much every year or two years. Um, films always deliver, make money. He's a studio executive's dream. Yeah. Um, and, a, you know, a, a three-star career, probably verging on four, but with a few... With a few absolute classics. Yeah, I'd say like it's consistently at least the three stars for most of his films. Maybe probably say Apollo Thirteen, Beautiful Mind, and Frost Next are probably up there at the five star mark, and a couple of maybe two star maybe's. But yeah, it's just it's a solid career. It's a good career. Um, it's a good career. Ransom as well, Cinderella Man. There's yeah. some good little oddities like that. Yeah. MTV, Rush, but know. I also the Ron Howard. There's nothing that makes a Ron Howard film stand out. What is a Ron Howard film? Yeah. yeah. You can't think there's any sort of, like, you know, technical flourish or anything like that. Like, if you watch, you know, you watch Spike Lee film, you watch a Coen Brothers film, you watch a Tantive film, you know that is their film. There's the nothing... Farmer, you know, yeah, there's yeah. nothing that connects far and away, in my yeah. mind, to the rush. You know, I, I, I don't no. see that. That could be the same director, that could be a completely different director. I don't see anything different about it at all. No, there's, there's no unique Ron Howard style. Yeah. He can pretty much try his hand to most things and he can do it well but is he maybe that's just that he's a grafter rather than a creative visionary yeah and it does say something that he's not a writer yeah you know even Spielberg who doesn't write much now he was a writer at one point yeah and I think uh, and, and you know it's, it, it's 
Spielberg, his fingerprints are over everything, aren't they? Yeah. You know, it's clearly his vision and everything. Oh. You could never say that with Ron Howard. No. You could maybe say he's somebody who lets the, sto- the story and the acting do the work for him, and he, you know, his job is to, to get the best performances and to put the camera in the maybe right that's... Maybe hundred percent. Maybe 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 he's an actors director. You know, we let the, he'll talk with actors. He keeps it very simple and lets the actors do their thing, and that's what brings the story along. Which in, in itself, nothing wrong with that whatsoever, because it's results no, in very so. good things. I mean, well, maybe that's why when it's when the films that don't work, films that don't work tend to be the films that maybe the writing just doesn't hold the scratch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, if you had to pick a top three as you are right now, what would you pick? Uh, Beautiful Mind, Apollo Thirteen. Frost Nixon slash Ransom joint third. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to Paul 13 number one. I for always reason yeah. go for backdraft number two. And I've told you before, I don't know why I like it, I don't know why I love it, but Far and Away is number three for me. <laughs> far and Away. Um, but yeah, love I love Far and Away. for Arrested Development as well, because he is a fucking amazing narrator in Arrested Development. Has he popped up in so, the new one with Henry Winkler yet? Is, he the, um, is it Barry? Has he popped up in that yet? Oh, I don't know. Is that the um, Bill Hader thing? Yeah, I know Henry Winkler's in that, and I know I seen him at the, the yeah. Emmys. They were sort of it was quite nice to see the two of them together. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know if he, I don't know if he's turned up in it at all. But he's not. Like, I think you've not seen him on camera as an actor for a while, have we? No, I see him in Arrested Development playing himself a couple of times while narrating himself because right. <laughs> he was signing up to be the actual Ron Howard who was about to direct an Arrested Development film. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's very meta. Yeah, um, but I haven't seen him actually act. No, never. Not since. It's a testament to him. I think he always, as you say, he always saw himself as a director rather than an actor. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he's a guy who seems to be a bit like Ridley Scott. He keeps a lot of stuff on his plate, so he's always working on something. So I'm sure there won't there'll be many a film out over the next couple of years with Ron Howard's name attached to it. And a special mention to his brother as well, who is Clint. great in Apollo 13. Yeah. He's, I think he's in pretty much every single film. He doesn't make it... Ron Hood does not give himself work, but he gives his brother work. He brothers in every single yeah. film he's done, which I think is really sweet. Yeah, I think that is really sweet. That yeah, but brother, brother, I'd, probably, I'd probably say that Apollo 13 is his best, because that's the one he sort of really has a real kind of moment. It, pro- it probably is, you know. It probably is. I've got a real special place for... <coughs> Uh, what, you mean Ron Howard generally, or his, his brother? His brother, and that, and and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he seems to have been in so many films, his brother. He's yeah, I, one of those heads, doesn't he? He's almost like a Bruce Campbell, just sort of turn. He just, he just does the job, you know. <laughs> yeah. He just, he just, he's a, he's a jobbing actor in Hollywood, and he's maybe got a bit more, um, sort of like scope and a bit more sort of recognition because of who his brother he is and who his dad was and stuff like that, but. Everyone always looks and go, oh, you're, you're the least, six, you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're the other Howard, you know, you're the one who didn't make it quite as big, and I think he's kind of, I think he's, he sort of embraces that a little bit. Yeah. You know? He's, he's got one of those great kind of weird faces, which is exactly what you want from yeah. those oddballs. No, totally. <laughs> like, really good, like, sort of, like, background actor, like, sort of just, you know, yeah. not an extra, but just slightly above an extra. Just above an extra. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely damn it, great, brother. <laughs> I know. It is, I mean, it in the nicest possible way. I, I know. Mean... I know. I think we've both been. We're trying to be. We're trying. We're trying to give him a compliment. Yeah. 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 Basically saying he's an ugly weirdo who will never make it. That's basically what we're saying. Yeah. Just above extra. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's us for this week, dude. So thank you very much for joining again. Thanks for having me. We shall Pleasure do. It. We shall do it again at some point with another director who. will decide at a later date who we're going to do. Um, But yeah, but that's it for this week. So I've been Richard, you've been...
Cheers. And you've been listening to... Three beers and a movie.